let's not get in trouble with them, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to be disappearing from some goddess. <laughs> yeah, no one wants to go into the Saudi consulate at the moment if you are... Yeah, offences to the crown prince. I don't I'm want to disappear. Just go into subconscious or something. You know, let's not piss that guy off too much. He's we love th- you. You're great. Being new to women's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to the World of Wrestling podcast. My name is Rich, and as always, I'm joined by my good buddy Tax Williams. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Just making sure I can't get the mic to clip straight away. First thing <laughs> in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we're t- today we're doing the AWA Super Clash Three. And uh, go on, you can give the caveat. Well, yeah, full disclosure on this one. Uh, We actually recorded a lot, well, we thought we'd recorded a lot of this uh, last week uh, after we'd finished off tying up our Progress Hello Wembley episode. But it turned out that, I'd say about an hour into the pod, Rich headbutted his microphone, and for some reason, the strength of the wild boar-esque head uh, managed to shatter the battery pack in our our podcast recording equipment on the road and uh, deleted, well couldn't recover any of the pod off the sd card so if you notice well i did recover some of it but it sounded like aggressive white noise for the vast majority of it so i don't think we can really put that out is that name for a band aggressive white noise <laughs> i can go with that it sounds <laughs> like a like a nazi band or something jesus i'll probably cut that out so if you notice some difference between the sound quality from what you're hearing now and maybe later on in the pod that's because i said some was recorded in my palatial mansion some's recorded here in the studio apartment <laughs> it's not an apartment it's not even a studio we'll just go with it the in, studio house in the studio sense. house <laughs> and whilst we may not be based in chicago illinois awa super clash 3 was oh, yes! that was a transition and a half <laughs> holy shit so oh my god uh, that's that's the podcast has peaked mate we're done <laughs> like let's leave it there let's go home literally i just try and get <laughs> these things set up to make it sound like i'm a, a proper broadcast journalist <laughs> um but this show awa super clash 3 was held on 13th december 1988 in the uic pavilion in chicago so university of illinois chicago pavilion in front of a very small crowd for the stadium slash arena slash pavilion of 1,672 very disinterested fans. For their equivalent of WrestleMania or the Super Bowl or whatever, this is a terrible turnout in Chicago, like a really good wrestling town. Yeah, and considering this was AWA under Vern Gagne and they were bringing in other promotions, so you've got a list of who else was part of this show. Absolutely. Let's go through it quickly. So the, the beginning of the show says Vern Gagne presents because he's got to get himself over, yeah, obviously. Yeah. These matches are sanctioned by the AWA. We know who they are. The American Wrestling Association. WCCW, which is obviously a world-class championship wrestling, which is the Von Erichs down in Texas. The CWA. Yep. <laughs> and the CWF. Yep, cool. Yep. We've, we've got ideas about who these are, but I've researched them a little bit. But like, the, I think it's Championship Wrestling from Florida or the Continental Wrestling Federation. It's one of either of those. I think it's yeah. the one based in Dallas. And the CWA is uh, Jerry Jarrett's promotion. Yeah. So Jeff Jarrett's dad. Daddy. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> he was a good booker back in the day. Kind yeah, of notorious oh, as well. Like, yeah, yeah. Some good stuff out there. And the one thing they leave off is my favorite promotion that are on this show. <laughs> the Powerful Women of Wrestling, which is David McLean's promotion. And a lot of you, if you've watched the Netflix series Glow you'll realize that the powerful women of wrestling is what Glow is based on before it's, it. It's actually the other way around. It's, this follows oh, really? Glow. Oh, really? So David oh, okay. McLean was the promoter from Glow, 
And then once Glow finished, he kind of, well, once he finished it, I guess, because he ran out of money and all sorts, he started up the powerful women of wrestling with like 90% the same roster and a few women who could actually wrestle as well, who we'll get on to later, I guess. And as we know on the series Glow, they were trained by Chavo Guerrero. <laughs> Luckily, he is nowhere to be seen on this card. <laughs> However, as we'll get to shortly, some Guerreros were on this card. Absolutely. So our uh, presenters and slash commentators slash backstage kind of interviewees for the um, interviewers, sorry, for the show are Larry Nelson and Lee Marshall, who do our ringside introduction. What do you think of these boys? Lee Marshall is fantastic. I have to say, I'm surprised he's not brought up more. Again, I don't know that's just his affiliation with the AWA yeah. and never got taken up to the big leagues. But he is a fantastic professional. His voice, the way he phrases things, the way he tells the stories is excellent. Less of that can be said for, <laughs> as I will dub him from now on, Larry the Pervert Nelson. <laughs> he does get very pervy with the women, doesn't he? As we'll get through... Um, as this pod goes on, Larry Nelson either just becomes a little bit hornier as the show goes on <laughs> or just basically isn't getting paid. So it's just becoming a lech. I love how like we've kind of done this before, but you're adding new stuff in to make me pop. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. brilliant. I appreciate it, man. That's good. Like Lee Marshall is absolutely outstanding. He's Gorilla Monsoon-esque. He seems like the natural um, su- successor, predecessor, person after successor. Yeah, he's a natural successor, isn't he? Of Gorilla, almost. Because yeah. he's so good. He's got the tone of voice. Like, he's got the projection. He knows the product. He's very, very good at making this crap card seem tolerable. Yeah, he, he is one of the definite high points of this card. Now, I haven't been on to see anything else that he's done so again i don't know if he's just upped his game for super clash or if he's just at this level all the time but as as much as i've seen of him in this show uh, i'm very impressed absolutely so we've got uh, gary capera who's our ring announcer for the evening who begins the show by announcing absolutely everybody at ringside which is insane it takes like 10 minutes <laughs> they had they had like a three-hour pay-per-view window to fill and they only had 12 matches on the card so yeah. he thought he'd probably have to space some of this out and it's a bit weird he does a good job in general but he's reading from the program from the show to announce these people it doesn't seem to know what's yeah, going on the at consummate all. professional just reading off the program but the main thing that larry and lee both highlight um as they're sort of introducing uh, introducing the event for Gary comes out to read off his program is that this match is supposed to be headlined and main evented by an AWA WCCW unification championship match between the King Jerry Lawler and Kerry Von Erich and those of you who aren't familiar with the Von Erichs this is a guy who later became the Texas Tornado absolutely yeah so it's a hell of a story kind of based off of that and all the things that happened around this match. Um, throughout this card, and essentially, Kerry Von Erich and Jerry Lauder are arguing backstage about who legitimately is meant to be going over. Kerry thought he was meant to be going over. Jerry thought he was meant to be going over. So this kind of like sets a tone constantly backstage throughout this show, as we'll get to, obviously. Yeah, it, it, it's for the stories which uh, we've spoken about. And then obviously I've looked into after the first, the lost version of this pod. Um, okay. Man, some of the stuff that went on backstage at this show is is ridiculous. Even the uh, immense amount of interviews <laughs> we include yeah, those. In this. Yeah. Well, we get to our first match after the long line of introductions, and we've got six man tag action. We've got RPMs, who I team I know nothing about, teaming with some little known guy called Cactus Jack. Hell yeah, Mick Foley for the win. What, what's that guy ever done? <laughs> He's very young in this, but he's very, very good against. And he's teaming against the Guerrero brothers. So we've got Chavo, who is a Chavo classic, not my hated wrestler, Chavo Guerrero so don't Jr. Don't panic, it's not Chavo Jr., it's fine. And we've got Mondo and Hector. Now, two of these three Guerreros are outstanding, and Mondo's there as well. <laughs> very much so. <laughs> um, 
Another point in this match for wrestling historians is the referee was uh, Mike Enos, who then later joined uh, the Beverly Brothers. Hell yeah, I love the Beverly Brothers. Which is one of your top tag teams. I'm such a mark. They were so underutilized and they were barely on WWE TV for a little stint. But what they did, I thought was absolutely superb. But this match overall, again, and we're not going to go into every single move because there are 12 matches to cover. Yeah, let's just fly through them. I I say matches. (laughs) There are 12 contests in this this match. Um, But how good are the Guerreros? Uh, They're absolutely great. They know how to run spots. They know how to like be in the ring together and out and how to kind of like bend the rules and but they keep the crowd so entertained lots of high spots lots of like four or five body presses four or five elbows one at a time from each guerrero they do absolutely great job here. and for 1988 for the level of essentially high flying edges and high spots that's in this match it i can't imagine there's much around this time again watching the early wrestlemanians watching early wwe from when i started watching it anyway you didn't get this and as we said you know obviously i, I mock mondo guerrero but chavo classic He's really, really good. So good. Really good. So good. And, you know, shout out as well to Cactus Jack. He was already taking some pretty nasty bumps. Bumping nasty already. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's it's strange to see him so young. Was this, do you know if this was pre when Vader had accidentally ripped his ear off in Germany? Yeah, this is pre WCW days. I'm absolutely convinced it is. It's 88. So, I mean, we might have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure it is before that. But the finish of this match, um, despite following Cactus taking lots of crazy bumps, we get um, Chavo Classic pinning one of the RPMs with a moonsault. But this moonsault was classic, like one, two, three kid onto Razor Ramon when the, his opponent from RPM was standing up. Chavo hit the moonsault, one, two, three. And again, at that time, what a finish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely great little match. Like Cactus looks super pissed afterwards, really selling the fact that they lost this match. And he's, he's, you can tell like he's ready to go almost. Like he's suddenly like crazy. He needs some experience. He needs some development of his character and to become a bit bullshy almost. You know, the one thing I did notice in this match is the state of the arena is horrific. <laughs> There's empty seats. That it looks dilapidated as hell. Like the floor looks like little MDF tiles that have been there for thirty years or so. There's one point where they bail out to the outside and it looks like a 30-year-old, like, just hasn't been cleaned in 30 years. It looks absolutely god-awful. It looks like you'd expect to see, like, a holiday camp and it's where they've got, like, their discos. That's how I liken the floor to. Um, And I also like that around the ring, everything was, it was just one rope stopping (laughs) the audience getting in. And I noticed throughout the show, there were a couple of times where you saw mass bunches of security guards go into the crowd just to sort of separate people either because they really wanted to get involved with the powerful women of wrestling indeed or they were just losing their mind at some of the things that happened on this card yeah is the state of the arena and the lack of lights and staging or anything like that because they literally just walk out to the ring and many there's loads of people that come out with no entrances or anything is this why the awa didn't survive why they couldn't compete with the wwe or wf i get the impression at this stage they were running out of money Mm. All their top names had gone to New York, or, or they'd gone down to Atlanta. Probably not as many gone to New York at this time, uh, Atlanta at this time as they'd gone to New York. Yep. But I think you could really see the promotion for this event must have been poor. Because if you think that the excitement when WCW and N- uh, not NWO, WCW and WWE after the uh, the takeover, everyone was so pumped for that. Even when people weren't out of their AOL contracts, everyone was really excited to see WCW versus WWE. That's what they were all signed to. Oh, I see what you mean at the end of WCW. Yeah, Yeah, when when all the wrestlers were sitting at home on their sort of two million guarantee a year and WWE were like, so Sting, (laughs) do you want to come to work? No, you're right. Goldberg, do you... Boop, hello. (laughs) (laughs) 
But um, after this match, we get to go back to our friend Larry the Perv Nelson. <laughs> and he is interviewing uh, Nina Moretti, who is a very young Ivory. Yeah, WWE's Ivory. Yeah. Now, they are discussing a very important match, one that will shake the very foundation of the AWA, even though it's nothing to do with their promotion. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the <laughs> upcoming over-the-top rope lingerie street fight battle royal tournament championship trophy intercontinental Jesus. battle. <laughs> You've added a few things to that, but it is a very long title indeed. So Ivory's the POWW champ of POW champ, as we're just going to refer to <laughs> yeah, it now. That's what they refer to. Why is there two W's? Why not? Powerful women of wrestling should surely be PWW, but they've also gone powerful as in POW, yep. then added the W for the wrestling. At the Probably end. they couldn't have them down as prisoners what? of war. <laughs> so strange. We've got man. these POWs out here. Oh my God, they're prisoners of war. No, they're just ladies who are going to clearly go for a oh. lingerie over the top rope battle royal. That, yeah. Mm. Interesting. So that's why they added the, w, the extra W, I guess. That's but, pure speculation, but I'm going to go with fact. This is my <laughs> kind of wrestling, man. Like, I love this ridiculousness of, like, let's just do this. Let's go with it. But all I can say here is that Larry Nelson needs to learn where to put his eyes. Yeah, very much Because so. it was essentially, I'm going to interview Ivory, but I'm going to stare at her chesticles. <laughs> the whole interview is just bad in general. And Ivory... She's got a lot of pre-workout going on. She is bouncing off the wall. She is <laughs> hugely on caffeine. Oh no, no definitely. No, no, no. The only the only Coke was of our delicious friends and sponsors, Coca-Cola. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's move on to the next match. Go on. <laughs> so we're back in the arena and we have our next match, which is for the WCCW light heavyweight title between Eric Embray and a very young let's spell his name, just in case you don't know how to spell it. J E double F J A double R E double T <laughs> sung to the ring by the road dog, but not here. Jeff Jarrett, a very <laughs> young Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Jarrett is absolutely outstanding in this match. The story they're telling between Flamboyant Eric Embry and Jeff Jarrett is that they've kind of gone back and forth with this WCCW light heavyweight championship belt for a while. Um, both guys are really gently booed on the introductions. <laughs> I think this might be an, an issue with bringing kind of Dallas and Memphis guys up to Chicago to wrestle for a promotion that are based out of Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, it they it wasn't uh, well received. However, this is probably one of the best matches I've ever seen Jeff Jarrett wrestle. It's Jeff Jarrett's best match ever. I'm absolutely convinced. <laughs> yeah. Like he looks so good. The spots are outstanding. They're quick. They're interesting. Like the opening tag got the crowd going. So it was funny. Had the Guerreros doing all their stuff. But this really, I think, is the highlight of the show. Yeah, best <laughs> in ring of the show. And again, it just goes to show how good Jeff Jarrett could have been if he wasn't saddled with terrible gimmicks. And also, I think a lot of Jeff Jarrett going forwards from 1988 was everyone with Jerry Jarrett bending people's ear. I think if Jeff Jarrett had been allowed to go okay. on his own run mm. without having Jerry Jarrett basically sort of nudge Vince and go, here's what you need to do with my boy, yeah. I wonder if Jeff Jarrett could have been better. Now, I've never been a real fan of Jeff Jarrett, the character, or his in ring work. And, you know, I know we joke now saying this is the best Jeff Jarrett match that we've seen. It is hands down yeah yeah i wasn't joking <laughs> i'm fully like convinced like i always think of jeff jarrett as that guy that was responsible for how bad tna got at times because he was the guy always at the top that would say yes yeah. or no like no matter who was booking it like russo ferrara whoever like hogan bischoff it was right up until the point where jeff jarrett kind of left the company at times 
Um, he see, he was always the guy that was responsible. So that like monstrosity of a match with the Bess and Sting, like oh, they had the tombstones God, and stuff. Yeah. Like, people blame Russo for that. Jeff Jarrett was the guy approving it. Like Jeff Jarrett could have gone, no, you're going to have a straight wrestling match, you know. So, and you can also see as well as you mentioned, sort of Jeff Jarrett left TNA. It started to get a bit better, and then Anthem sort of bought it out. And then they were like, oh, we need a consultant. Oh, look, Jeff Jarrett's brought back Global Force Wrestling into TNA. Yeah. So it's only now that at least they've got a decent set of in-ring talent. Again, storytelling's not great in TNA, but Jeff Jarrett definitely a better wrestler than he is a better than a Booker. And a promoter? Oh, I don't know. I think he's pretty bad at both. Well, exactly. Well, so, like, <laughs> split, oh, splitting hairs. We're going to have to do a proper Jeff Jarrett retrospective at some point. I think so. Let's move on to So this is very much like a spot fest for this time period. Yeah, definitely. So in 1988, like, the, the things they're going for are absolutely insane. They're really, really fun. Um, Jeff sells his shoulder quite a lot and falls to the outside. You get a sunset flip by Jeff Jarrett, reversed into a pin by Embry for the one, two, three. And that means he's won the belt for the fourth time to show again how much this belt's flip-flopped between the two of them. But again, to the Chicago crowd, it's probably the first time they've seen such a match. And considering they got booed as they kind of, like, gently booed, it wasn't like, we hate you. It was just like, oh, God, who are these Southerners sort of thing. They really get the crowd on their side. They definitely won them over. Absolutely. But after a title change, what are we going to do? We're going to go backstage. It's the AWA. Of course we have to go backstage. Championship match, backstage interview. Other match, backstage interview, ringside interview, championship match, <laughs> backstage interview. This car just does this over and over and over again. But it seems that these interviews have been reserved for the uh, the powerful women of wrestling. And especially early before their matches, yeah. all these POWW girls. And Larry Nelson is interviewing what can I describe, especially at this time, and we'll probably get really bad hits for our podcast if people are using some kind of AI to pick out these keywords. He's interviewing the Syrian terrorist. <laughs> Yeah, it's very glow at this point. Man, she's just a woman dressed in black who's pretending to speak in a foreign dialect, but I'm pretty sure she's going... At the end of the interview, a few times she does this. Yeah, so either she's speaking really quickly and she's very proficient (laughs) in Syrian, or she's a massive, massive ignorant human being. Yeah. What's the guy's name, the interviewer? Larry Nelson. Larry Nelson literally says the line, it's a pleasure to look at you. (laughs) Oh, that's creepy. Like, I know she's putting herself over and how hot she is and all this sort of stuff, but... Yeah, that, those weren't the right words to choose, I imagine. But I guess it's 88, you can get away with anything almost. Yeah, I mean, if you think up until this was the same in WWE until 2014. Yeah. Well, <laughs> cat fight, cat fight. Hello, Joey Styles. <laughs> so after... <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> okay, so after our, uh, our backstage interview, we go back to the ring for our next contest. And here we go, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Boogie Woogie Man. It's handsome Jimmy Valiant. And he's going to go up against one half of the future Beverly Brothers, Wayne Bloom. And when <laughs> I looked at Wayne Bloom, I first thought, bloody hell, Sandman looks pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> definitely along those lines. Like, but he's definitely not the Sandman. Like, I love the Beverlies. Obviously, at this point, I have no idea who Wayne Bloom was. But I am a huge boogie-woogie mark. I love the guy. I think he's one of the best kind of... Spl- uh, how to describe it? He does so much without doing anything. Yeah. Like, he's in the lines of, like, Dusty and, I don't know, even Lawler and people like that. Like, he can go in, he can do punch kicks, do a spot here and there, but his character and his talking and his gimmick are so over. It's classic. Even when he went up and kissed Bill Apter and made Bill Apter on ringside (laughs) just look so uncomfortable. Was that on this? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so cool. it, it basically Aptor's at ringside and Valiant goes and plants one on his lips <laughs> and Aptor's like Whoa, I don't know what to do I completely miss that oh, oh man but the match is a complete squash it takes Jimmy like two seconds to do a flying elbow and get the one two three 
But Wayne Blue blatantly kicks out before the three. And again, this is kind of classic American indie wrestling thing. Like, no one can look bad. Oh, no. No one takes a pinfall solidly. You will see as we progress through this card that other than these first couple of matches where there have been definitive pinfalls, it all goes downhill from here, folks. Well, obviously, you know, Boogie Boogie Man gets the three. And uh, Bo Beverly, as I'm going to call him, kicks out. Wayne Blue. Um, Are you sure it was Bo, not Slick? Oh, no. no, no, no. <laughs> okay, if you say so. I, I hope so. <laughs> I don't know, I can tell the difference at this point. They look pretty similar. Um, but yeah, so uh, again, we've, we could say a lot about Handsome Jenny and Valiant, but don't worry, because for those of you wondering what Larry Nelson's up to, we cut back to him straight away. And yeah. this time, he's with the promoter of the powerful women of wrestling, David McLean, and his girl, Bambi. And at this stage, they explain why we have this over the top rope lingerie stripped down battle royal so Bambi delivers this line when she goes this Georgia Peach is going to take home $10,000 and you're like wait what like yeah, when did 10 grand come into it so there is an award for this so it's not only a lingerie battle royal it's also a winner takes home $10,000 lingerie battle royal over the top battle royal intercontinental whatever this touring is. championship cup Jesus Christ man but, could but, they add more gimmicks into this match well the main premise of this story is that the Syrian terrorist had torn Bambi's <laughs> jean shorts. Oh, yes. <laughs> what every great feud is built over in wrestling. And obviously, this means that all these other women have to get involved with nothing to do with this storyline, but they're all fighting for 10 big ones. Absolutely. So Larry cuts her off as well to go back to ringside. It's like so unprofessional, and no one's reaching their time slots. Like, no one's getting on time. Like, oh, it's a nightmare. But you would want to cut back to ringside where you get... These are some of the best bits of the show, I'm going to be honest. Just <laughs> yeah, the hilarity of these backstage the segments. They're fucking brilliant. Oh, I just... But it doesn't get any better than the Texas heavyweight title match as we've got Brickhouse Brown challenging the man with the best hair on the card, Iceman King Parsons, for his Texas title. Nothing like, first of all, defending your Texas title in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, uh, the commentator puts over this is Texas versus Tennessee and then announces that one guy is from Florida and the other guy is from St. Louis. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't quite know how it is. I think it's the promotions they're working for. But oh, let, let's talk dear. about Iceman's hair. So oh, my God. It's basically bald at the front. But then about halfway through, there's kind of three separate lines of mohawks almost, like two off to the side and one down the center. And he's got them in little blonde pigtails. Well, that's the thing. It's only blonde tips at the end. <laughs> Everything else is like black hair other than these blonde tips of pigtails at the end. And he looks like an absolute stud. Yeah, yeah. And these two are wearing identical ring attire. They're both wearing baby blue. They yeah. came out to the ring together. It's. I thought they were a tag team when they first came out. Yeah, I thought we were going to get tag action. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I, this is like the biggest amateur mistake surely any pro wrestler can do is wear the same color gear as yeah. your opponent. Like, do you turn up to most shows? Like, do wrestlers turn up with two sets of gear? Yeah, a lot of the guys do. Yeah, it, it seems sensible. Uh, but, yeah, these these guys, I thought, tag classic. Yeah, I mean, the match is okay, actually. They're up against each other, obviously. Yeah, we had some shenanigans at the end, so match came to an end. Whoa, 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 oh, sorry. whoa, whoa. Uh, Don't you dare pass over the fun of this match. <laughs> so we've got Brickhouse Brown does a dance after, like, every move he does. He has a little boogie every single time. I love this gimmick so much. Like, do a clothesline, do a dance, do an elbow, do a dance, Irish whip, dance. That's called recovery. <laughs> he's like, he's, he's blowing already after his ring entrance, so he's doing the dance and actually him having sort of convulsions. Like, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
Uh, Brickhouse also does a flying burrito, which <laughs> we had to put out there as well, because God bless you, Bobby Heenan. <laughs> but yeah, so interesting dance steps by Brickhouse Brown. Neither of these two are overly adept to in-ring work. They they can work for the time period. They're pretty solid. Like they're not amazing by any means. There's no nothing I'm gonna remember apart from the flying burrito, obviously, which is outstanding. Outside of the flying burrito, I would just say very very budget version of Bad News Brown. Both of them, pretty much, yeah. in ring style. Yep. But Bad News Brown could tell a story doing his very limited work. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah. So apologies for skipping over that. But I will get to the finish with shenanigans, where it turns out that Parsons pinned Brown after he walloped him with a foreign object, which yeah. he got from his trunks. Now, were they nuts, or was it just a scrunchie? Who knows? But either way, Brickhouse Brown went down like a ton of bricks. bricks? Oh, nicely done. Oh. This is the first big fucking bullshit finish to the, of the night. Like, it's... it's... It's, it's, it's so stupid in that Brickhouse goes to do his flying burrito, pins Parsons, but pins, Parsons gets the ropes. Yeah. So the ref doesn't count to three, obviously. Brickhouse stands up, celebrates like he's won, and then gets hit with the knucks. And it's, there's a good 30 seconds where Brickhouse is in the room celebrating like he's won the match. And the crowd don't give a shit because they haven't yeah. any idea what's going on. Because to be fair, they're paying so little attention to it, they might as well be the crown prince in Saudi Arabia not watching the wrestling like they did at like, the Greatest Royal Rumble. Let's not get in trouble with them, eh? <laughs> <laughs> don't want to be disappearing from like, some... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one wants to go into the Saudi consulate at the moment if you are... Yeah. Offences to the crown prince. I don't I'm- want to disappear, just go into some concert or something, you know? Let's not piss that guy off too much. He's we love th- you. You're great. Being new to women's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the Iceman ringside interview after the. Well, that's where we're going. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. Cool. Go on. No, 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 no. Far away because oh, I know I you. That? I know okay. you enjoy this one very much. So Iceman's interviewed. Uh, Iceman Parsons, I should call him, is interviewed at ringside, and he calls him Outhouse Brown, <laughs> not <laughs> Brickhouse Brown, <laughs> which got a huge pop out of me. It's classic old school wrestling. Uh, he calls himself the teacher, and calls Brickhouse the student. Um, yeah, let's cut that out. Sorry. Because it's going to flow into this next line. that will be really funny. <laughs> like Mama says, it be that way sometimes. Have mercy, you Rudy Poo. Oh, <laughs> so good, mate. What a line. And also, here's here's the good point now. Don't have script writers in WWE because you wouldn't have had that gold. Absolutely. I'm totally with you. So after we have uh, Iceman's uh, wonderful and also your very accurate depiction of his promo. Thank it you very like, much. It was like I was re-watching AWA. It's <laughs> a real shame. So after this, as we now know of an AWA show format, we've had a ringside interview. Therefore, we're going to have to go for a backstage interview. And we're back with Larry Nelson. And what a surprise. He's with another lady. Ladies. This well, time. exactly. He's with Brandy May. And a little lady called Pocahontas. Pocahontas. Now, at this stage, he says to um, Lee Marshall something along the lines of, well, I'd much rather be back here interviewing two beautiful ladies. Jesus. (laughs) I mean, yeah, maybe that's his thing. I think we'd all rather be backstage interviewing people than watching the trash that's in the ring most of these (laughs) times. I'd say the first few matches have been okay, but like this interview is uh, weird. So Brandy explains that the match is serious because the terrorist tore off her cut-off shorts. That's difficult to say. Um, And Pocahontas (laughs) does the most generic kind of racist (laughs) promo ever. She's going to war dance all over that ring and take home the $10,000. She was one... 
away from being Tatonka. Wait, that was actually pretty good. That Thank you very much. But at this stage, after Pocahontas has gotten her bit, David McLean resurfaces and both Larry and Dave start sounding like Jerry Lawler <laughs> and perving over these two poor ladies. So these women are of age, at least. So there well, we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's true. <laughs> hey. After we have our backstage interview, we then move on to the dual championship mixed six-person tag match. <laughs> I love these titles. Oh, They're so man. good. Basically, let's try and shoehorn everyone and every title onto a show. Yeah, but, yeah. So our six participants are Bad Company, which is Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka, who are managed by the very good and very flamboyant DDP. And they are teaming with Medusa Micelli, Micelli even. I think it's Micelli, but yeah, we'll go with it. Um, and they're going to take on team known as Top Guns, Derek Dukes and Ricky Rice. Ricky Rice as well. Ricky Rice. Because Rick, Ricky Rice is the person here, but Ricky Rice used to be a jobber on the old like WWE Wrestling Challenge. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I remember Undertaker tombstoning Ricky Rice and putting him in a body bag. And I was like, where's he going? Not the same guy? No. Oh, okay. And good. my mum said to me, I said, well, uh, afterwards, they go backstage and he just lets him out the bag and they shake hands. And it's like... <laughs> No, breaking kayfabe, mother. Don't do that. That's terrible. But um, Top Guns are teaming. Easier to explain that than the realities of death and stuff, you know. (laughs) Oh, he goes and buries them. No one searches for him because it's wrestling. Jesus. (laughs) But um, Top Guns are teaming with Wendy Richter. Um, Wendy Richter is the AWA's women's champion, and her title is online along with Bad Company's tag team championships, which are also. AWA belts. Hence, dual championships. Oh, yeah. Now, again, wrestling historians, you may know Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka as the Orient Express. That's the one. That's how I remember them. Yeah, so, sure. uh, Paul Diamond became Kato and wore a mask. Because, <laughs> you know, he had to be into the gimmick. And Pat Tanaka, obviously, was Tanaka, managed by one of the best wrestling managers ever, Mr. Fuji. But... DDP as a manager, really good. Yeah, I enjoy DDP as a manager. He's in a few of these matches as uh, a manager this evening. Uh, I think he does a great job. He's got full of gimmicks. (laughs) (laughs) His box of gimmicks is just (laughs) right there. Absolutely. He does a great job of making these guys get booed and uh, being obnoxious, kind of typical manager. Does a really, really good job of it. Yeah, classic heel manager. I mean, this was quite fast-paced, but not really much to shout home about. I don't... Obviously, matches like this, it just stops the flow. If you've got to have, oh, the ladies have tagged in, so the chaps have got to get out of the ring. I'm not saying that it should be an intergender match, but based on the fact this show ran two and a half hours... I think it should be. You should have... You think it should have been this match? Uh, I think it should have been intergender, definitely. I think it'd be more oh, yeah. entertaining and stuff. You but know? I but think... Of the time period, they would never do it. Yeah. But, yeah. But I think they should have split this out into two separate title matches. <laughs> oh, God, more matches. <laughs> like, nah, <laughs> you're right. It's just cram them all together. That's blatantly what they've done. Is they've realized they've got like 12 matches. Is that how many it is? Yeah, 12 sure in total. 12 on the show. Yeah. They've blatantly realized they've got like, you know, had 13 and were like, well, where can we reduce them? I just say the tag of the women's and put them together. It'll be all right. So the finish to this match comes when uh, Wendy Richter pins Medusa after Tanaka accidentally super kicked his partner. Medusa goes batshit crazy at the end and ends up getting spanked by. Ricky Rice. Absolutely. Like, everyone in this match has an amazing mullet, including the managers and the ref and the women. Like, uh, like yeah, this is of the time, and it's absolutely brilliant. The finish is, uh, yeah, weird. 
Uh, very much another fucking bullshit sort of finish. A lot of shenanigans, a lot of issues. Yeah, the faces then go on to a, a assault Medusa and spank her. Not very face-worthy sort of thing to do. Medusa goes mental and slaps Tanaka, which promote prompts which prompts the Orient Express and DDP to call Medusa a bimbo <laughs> and ask where their belts are. Like they didn't actually lose the match. Like yeah. you knew the rules going <laughs> yeah. in. You've lost your match. Uh, but it, it's really, really messy. And this is where the card starts to take a little dive off of a cliff. Little? And it starts to go... But we're still getting there. We've got a long way to go. You say little dive. It's nose-bombed off it. And it's currently yeah. going through the water, heading towards the Earth's core. It's not the greatest match in the world. There's some silliness going on and some fun bits and some silly storylines and stuff. But it's like there's too many cooks here. Way too yeah, many cooks. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, what do we need now to try and bring us back up? That's right, Larry Nelson's back, but this time he's with a dude. So he's looking really disinterested. <laughs> yeah. And Kerry, uh, obviously it's Kerry Von Eric. I'm oh, sorry, I'll cut you off there. But it's, uh, go on. No, 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 far away. All right, so we've got the modern day warrior Kerry Von Eric and a child, <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah. concerning to start with. He does explain this is his daughter and his daughter eventually just runs off halfway through the promo. Uh, he basically cuts an utterly generic shit face promo where he goes, there's one leaning tower of Pisa. There's one Eiffel Tower. So there should be one world champion, which is a logic I can't understand. <laughs> and also, there should be one world champion. Where's the CWA heavyweight title and the CWF heavyweight title in this? Absolutely. There is one world heavyweight champion. He wrestles for the WWF. His name is Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you, know? you know him from Super Clash like one or two? You know, Absolutely. Vern Gagne's boy. Yeah, the guy to call you money and you're your fan. Trying to put over that either the WCCW champion or the AWA champion is the one heavyweight champion yeah uh, I can. you know why they're doing it it's obviously promotion all this sort of stuff but the logic of the promo is terrible and he obviously has been told by Fitz this is what you're going to say go say it make sure you're a face like get yourself over son yeah because um, it's not the last time he cuts this promo <laughs> Jesus Christ but you know we're back to the ring more AWA title action as we've got Greg Gagne going up against Rugged Ronnie Garvin. Rubbish Ronnie Garvin, I think you mean. <laughs> for the Shout va- out to the OSW boys. There you go. <laughs> for the uh, for the vacant world TV title. Now, I think you and I have different names for this title on our notes. Okay, I've got it as the International TV Championship. Yeah. <laughs> of course. O- either way, it's a mid-level AWA vacant <laughs> title. And the first question we all need to ask ourselves, if Vern Gardy is booking the AWA... Will he put his boy over in this match? Well, as a promoter, what I think is obviously I'm going to get my boy over, but I need to have rubbish Ronnie Garvin look strong. How will I possibly book the end of this title match in which I could put my kid over, but also make Ronnie not look like he's weak? I think the trick is to say hands of stone like 20 times. No matter how many times he punches people and they don't sell it, just keep saying hands of stone in terms of Ronnie Garvin and it'll kind of get over. He's got hands of stone. Ugh, Very this, sh- this constant punch kick and like <laughs> Greg barely sells his punches. I basically thought it was like the start of a rumble. There was so many kick punch struggle in the corner. Hey, it really was. Like This is typical AWA sort of time period match it's okay both both guys are really out of shape and like they're exhausted they're totally gassed five minutes in just looks like grado grado style wrestling it's gassed. very too grado we sort of wrestlers without yeah. any of the entertainment or comedy yeah it was a very drab match but as we said how are we going to book this title finish well it turns out 
that Ronnie Garvin got counted out, but Greg Gagne managed to get in to meet the count, and he is your new. Wait, come on, man. There's more to it than that. Like they go, they go through, <laughs> they go to bail out to the outside over the top, right? And they're stalling on this top rope for at least 30 seconds. It feels like a minute. They're both sitting there having a conversation about what's going to happen. They were trying to book <laughs> who's going to go over. God's sake. It's literally like they're working out the finishes. They're doing it. And they go over to the outside. They, they kind of do a little bit on the outside. Greg rolls back in and counts out rubbish Ronnie Garvin. <laughs> and you're just like, that was three seconds. Like, how did you count to 10 in that time? As I told you, Chicago, Illinois, screw job. <laughs> rubbish oh, Ronnie Garvin another fucking bullshit finish like, yeah. just every match is some sort of screw job and that's why they call this AWA Super BS Finish 3 <laughs> <laughs> you should have that seen the first two <laughs> at least they admit to it the way through like that's a gimmick I can get with yeah that works oh good god the announcer goes Ronnie Garvin's counted out of the ring and you're like wait really what happens like it's, it all went way too quickly it's basically just started counting how my daughter does because you used to be able to count to 20 really well at right. 18 months and now she started going 1, 2 Two, three, four, five, seven. <laughs> what? Where's six? One there. Where's six gone? And then she just goes, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> getting ripped by my own daughter. Excellent. As a man who loves accountancy and maths and tax, the fact that my daughter's ribbing me with number games because <laughs> she knows it really annoys me. God oh, damn it, mate. She'd make a great referee in the AWA. Well, I'm assuming you want to do this next bit. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about this interview afterwards because well, it was just. It's, it's, it's got some interesting points to it, and that. Uh, they do the interview with Garnier at ringside because he's won the match. And uh, Hands of Stone, <laughs> Rubbish Ronnie Garvin, is going mental at ringside. Probably because v- Greg Garnier just won a belt on a count out where it went 1 2 10. Yeah. Was it that this belt was held up or was it that Garnier was already the champion? So because there was a count out, he's still the champion. No, it's vacant belt. So, so he won vacant, it on a count out. So he's won the belt on a count out as yeah. well as the count out being absolute bullshit. Yeah. Oh, great. I love this show so much. <laughs> this is so brilliant. This is how I would book wrestling just to make it really funny and confusing and have something completely unique compared to like normal wrestling but this thing though the problem is as you said if they booked this to be really funny and they knew it was to be like shits and giggles yeah then fine but the awa is booking this as a serious we've got all these major promotions oh don't ignore ignore the mcmahon's (laughs) (laughs) and it's just cluster after cluster and yeah and this interview's more of the same i mean it's incredibly generic as well it goes uh, give credit where credit's due uh, it's just like, could you have a more generic line up your sleeve? Have you not thought about like something else you could say maybe in this case? Yep. Yeah, I mean, again, he's a tough guy. We'll put we'll put the guy over who lost on a three count out. Yeah, and then Garnier, who seems to be the face in this situation. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think there is really a face in the hill. But he's meant to be a face, I think. Cause he's meant to be like the young, up and coming face of the AWA. Yeah. <laughs> young, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> and he he does a sports team reference and rips on the Chicago crowd. And you're like, you piece of shit. You're meant to be the good guy. <laughs> you don't understand sports. Ah, oh, terrible. So because we've had a match and a ringside interview, we obviously then have to go backstage for a Jerry Lawler interview. Uh, he talks about Kerry's broken ankle that is been fixed or protected. In reality, if you don't know, Kerry was in a bike accident not long before their show and had his whole foot ripped off. Yeah. And so there's a. I tried to look at a bit of research on this, and there's a couple of people telling stories. Um, Manny Fernandez tells an amazing story on YouTube, which is. Uh, Colonel De Beers was wrestling Kerry Von Erich in a WCCW ring. And Colonel De Beers, because they kept uh, Kerry's ankle 
Kerry's foot loss, I guess I should say, not ankle loss. That'd be weird. Still get your foot, but no ankle. <laughs> <laughs> so Kerry's uh, foot loss is a secret, like because they want to keep Kerry as this like top dog. Obviously, they've lost David at this point, and uh, you know they need a, a Von Eric to be the superstar. And so they keep his uh, foot a secret, even to the wrestlers. So Colonel De Beers goes to put on an ankle lock and Kerry's whole foot just <laughs> pops off. Uh, so, yeah. So I would definitely go and recommend like looking up a few stories about Kerry Von Eric because he was drugged out of his mind and mental it seems like absolutely crazy there's some really funny, interesting, interesting family though, yeah. isn't it i mean it's such a horrible story the whole von eric thing but uh, let's not go into it too much i think if you want to look at that just go look it up there's yeah. loads of stuff out there uh right so kerry talk um jerry lawler talks about kerry's uh ankle being broken or protected now uh it's not it's just not there anymore uh and he puts over the fact that kerry is very very muscly <laughs> i mean he's not wrong He's got a fair point. Kerry's massive. His foot is protected because it doesn't exist. He's a muscly boy because <laughs> he spends a lot of time in the gym, like, in ju- the shower block, buying steroids. Absolutely. Like, Jerry, Allegedly. Jerry's very, very good at talking. So good. I, I, I that, that Jerry work. Lawler, in-ring work, again, as you said earlier, about just having the ability to do like one or two moves and just have the whole character down. Yeah, he is yeah. definitely one of those people I would class as a character wrestler. Absolutely. But at the the very best of his game, I'd say. Yeah. Up next, because again, we need some in-ring action. It's Battle Royal time, ladies and gentlemen. The lingerie street fight over the top rope battle royal. They also added the word street fight, which is (laughs) great. It's hilarious. Just keep adding gimmicks. Just keep piling them on. It'll be fine. No weapons at all. No, <laughs> I didn't even thought about it. Nothing at all. So basically, my notes here uh, basically say: so what we have here of tons of clueless ladies pulling each other's hair. Yeah, I mean that, that is funny. It's silly. It's insane. The crowd actually get into it. At yeah, really as well. into it. Uh, the last three: uh, Luna, Brandy, May, who's the one who had her shorts turn off, torn off. And the terrorists, or Syrian terrorists, they just keep telling me the terrorists, they've lost the Syrian part completely. Yeah, safer. Um, who's the one who tore the shorts off, so you know you know they're going to be in the last three, obviously. Uh, Luna goes up top, Brandy May knocks her off to the floor, eliminating Luna. Uh, a fan jumps the barrier at this point, <laughs> and security have to jump in. It was Mad Dog Vachon, obviously. <laughs> Livid. <laughs> Livid, his daughter's got eliminated. The crowd chant, take it off, because obviously they're ripping each other's clothes and such. And the commentators cover this up by saying, they're chanting for Brandy May. <laughs> they're, like, they're bloody not. They just want some nudity. That's all they care about. Give me some big booty. <laughs> <laughs> And the terrorist gently dumps out Brandy May over the top rope for the win. Uh, and the Syrian terrorist wins $10,000. Of course she does. <laughs> it's real. Now, two things to point out here, and I'll let you do the second point. But the first point, if you're going to give a prize of a ten grand check, yeah. make sure it is an actual check or even a gimmick check with like ten grand <laughs> on it. Because I zoomed in on it and it was just a rectangular bit of paper. It was not a check. <laughs> classic i love it so much and then they went on to the uh the promo afterwards where it was suggested that the syrian terrorist was going to go and do some christmas shopping <laughs> now can you tell me why there are some flaws in this <laughs> part of the interview please? being syrian for most likely muslim so therefore wouldn't christmas shop like oh for god's sake come on guys you should be better than this but with 10 grand ho ho 
Man, the backstage interview they cut with these girls is so funny because they just go backstage and the interviewer goes, I'm backstage with one of these ladies. I have no (laughs) idea who it is, but one of these ladies. So he he was backstage, uh, you know, good old uh, Larry Nelson. He was backstage with Peggy Lee Leather, who was looked like a tough biker bird. Yeah. Not even involved in the last three or anything. No. She's like goes out fifth or sixth from the end, I think. And Luna. And basically, there's a lot of a lot of anger that Luna got eliminated. And then out of nowhere, Medusa just walks in, puts a snake on Luna, walks out with back to camera as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's impossible to describe. There's two girls giving their promos, facing the camera, being very ultimate warrior almost, just talking nonsense. And then she walks in with her back to the camera, dumps this snake on her, and walks out. It's a total rib. It has to be. Blatantly has to rib. be. Absolutely. She's not even involved in the match. It's just like, you know, it's absolutely That's great. ridiculous. But then oh. we try and maintain a degree of professionalism. We get a professional journalist at ringside with Lee Marshall introducing Bill Apter, who's there to give Jerry Lawler the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Inspirational Wrestler of the Year Award. Now, little did they know. Little did they know backstage, uh, Kerry Von Erich and Jerry Lawler were still probably having discussions, gentle, polite, friendly discussions about who was going to go over. So Lawler no-showed to get his award. And the best part of this is Lee Marshall's about to start saying, well, I'll accept it on behalf of Jerry Lawler. But he was cut off by Bill Apter and said, I'll, um, I'll give it to him later. Bill Apt is such a pro, man. (laughs) He took control of this situation and knew what to do and got his company over and made sure that Jerry Lawler was going to be photographed on TV with that plaque in his hand. Absolute pro. What a legend, mate. So after the disappointment of not seeing Lawler come out to um, collect his his plaque, because they're still at ringside for like a minute going... Is he coming? Is he? Is he, is he <laughs> yeah. No, no, we'll just do this. I think they were just stalling because they needed to get time for everyone's favourite American hero, Sergeant Slaughter, who's <laughs> Wait, backstage. Hang on. <laughs> do you not mean Hulk Hogan? <laughs> this is the American no, hero. No, American uh, hero. He's a, he's a veteran, you know. The Sarge, Sergeant Slaughter. He's backstage with Larry Nelson discussing his boot camp match with Colonel De Beers. Now, this was three years as I built in that he's an American hero before Sergeant Slaughter became an Iraqi sympathizer and had to go around with a full security detail as they feared he was about to be taken out by snipers. Absolutely, yeah. In this promo, he, he talks something about a refrigerator. I didn't quite get what he was trying to say. No. Something about being a fridge or like <laughs> the, putting the only, him into a fridge. The only thing track. I thought to at this stage was... Is he alluding to the time in the 90s when the WWE signed The Fridge, the American footballer? Maybe. Don't and obviously know. that didn't go well. I don't think so. <laughs> I wonder whether he was a star at this time and he's thinking that, you know, big guy, fridge, refrigerator, maybe I can talk something about that. But like his words don't make sense. He's saying lots of big words. Yeah. And he's shouting a lot. There's no kind of like... Didn't even get any maggots <laughs> out of nothing. it. Uh, go on, let's move on to the match. So it's Colonel De Beers accompanied to the ring by, as you'd expect, oh, hang on, wait, no, Diamond Dallas Page. <laughs> He's a heel, he needs a heel manager. It's how times work. Exactly. I mean, you know, you looked at Slick and Harvey Whippleman all buying each other service and having a really odd group of people they managed. So this must be what DDP did. But it's a bit of a strange combo. Uh, this was uh, a relatively decent, I say, weapons filled brawl. It's certainly more weapons than in the Street Fight Battle Royal we had. Yep. So, I mean, the Sarge actually gets an entrance, which is new. Oh, yeah. With patriotic music and everything. As one would expect. Like, Kerry Von Erich doesn't even get music for his entrance later. So that's because he's WCCW. Oh, do you reckon that's no, what reckon. it is? Yeah, oh, without okay. a shadow of a doubt. Maybe, yeah. So, uh, in terms of weapons, we use a riding crop, which is flexible and probably doesn't hurt very much. A uh, helmet, which probably does hurt quite a lot. And so there's lots of chokes. And that's about it, weapons-wise. Yep. 
but so. like you know, it's, it's done as a kind of street fighty sort of match. It's, yeah, it's not good, but it's not terrible. Yeah, I'd say very average, non-violent street fight. Yeah, absolutely. Some prick at ringside has a whistle and won't stop blowing it, and I want to kill him. Yeah, screw you, Bill Alfonso. Oh, no, I, mean, I could put up with Bill. But yeah. <laughs> uh, we get Cobra Clutch. DDP calls out um, Adnan and Sheiky Baby. Come on, America's enemies. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and I wasn't sure what was happening in the finish here because like Sheiky comes out to make him humble, obviously. Obviously. Uh, and they kind of beat down Sarge, but the ref's already called for the bell kind of just before it happens because Adnan's out a long time before Sheik as well. <laughs> I mean, Sheik's minutes. known as an athlete, so he's like, I'll give Adnan a bit of time to get out and I'll run down there and we'll hit the ring at the same time. At that point, Sheik was like, oh crap, I've realised, I'm the Sheik. Bloody hell, man. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, we later learn that Sarge's Slaughter wins the match, but no one specifies how to start no, with. But he's definitely won. Absolutely. But uh, I think uh, I think it's because of the Cobra Clutch. I, I, they never actually kind of confirm it. Did you look this up? Or? I'm going to say he won via submission. Oh, okay. That's what it was. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. But as Sarge is having a beatdown by uh, Sheiky Baby and Adnan, yeah. we are joined by America's favorite heroes. Oh, wait. Hang on. The Guerreros. <laughs> yeah. They come and make the save. Guerreros come out to make the save. Uh, they're over his faces in the first match, so it's kind of sensible in that way, but... In terms of gimmicks and things, like this makes no sense. No. Like I think it's literally that Sarge is anti obviously other countries that America have been at war with at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so Iraq, Iran, all this sort of stuff, and he cuts the promo afterwards. But, you know, Mexicans, they're all right. Yeah, they'll do. <laughs> I mean American citizens technically. I know Eddie was. I, yeah, I exactly. El Paso, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, whatever. It's all good. It's wrestling. Yeah. So Sarge cuts a shouty promo at ringside afterwards. Uh, it's basically anti every other country that isn't America. And uh, he does the Pledge of Allegiance at the end. So after we have Sarge's little shouty promo, we're backstage with Larry Nelson. And this time he's with Bill Apter, who finally gets to give Jerry Lawler his plaque. Absolutely. Uh, holy exposure problems, Batman, because they have serious camera issues at this point. Everything's bleached out and bright, and this promo is obviously a last minute. Oh my god, wait, what? We're doing this? Okay, quickly switch on the cameras, let's go. Yep. Yeah. Bill, Bill's found Lawler backstage, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, so it gives him the plaque, and Lawler very nicely accepts it, but he puts himself over so hard. He's like, oh, I don't deserve that. Oh, actually, I do. Yeah, this yeah. is me. <laughs> I deserve this. I am the most inspirational wrestler. <laughs> And he says he's going to be the, uh, once he has both championships, he'll be the greatest wrestler of the year. And again, oh, nice and modest. Total pro, though. Absolutely. Making the best of bad situation. Jerry, Jerry, we need you. We need you. Quick car promo. What am I going to say? I know exactly what I'm going to say. You can tell he's having issues backstage because he's almost laughing at how silly the whole situation is. Like, yeah, it's, it's quite fun. I like this bit. So now we're back to tag team title action from WCCW as we've got the Samoan SWAT team, Samu and Fatu, along with their manager, former Freebird, Buddy Roberts. Mm-hmm. And they're defending the gold against another Freebird, Michael PSAs. Different Freebirds, I think, but yep. like, it's all good. <laughs> and Stone Cold Steve Cox. <laughs> Cox. <laughs> you, why are you adding on Stone Cold? You did this on the first recording, like yep. just because his name's Steve. Because because that's all he's got going for oh, him. Okay, fair enough. I wonder whether that was actually his gimmick and just Austin stole it or some shit. Definitely no. not. No, okay, fair no, enough. Stone Cold Steve Cox. Um, first note, um, Steve Cox, again, similar to earlier about gimmick, I love gimmick stuff. Steve Cox is the person you want to talk about. Go on. Well, <laughs> he's wearing exactly the same tights as the Head Shrinker Boys from yeah, the yeah. Samoan uh, SWAT team. Yeah, yeah. It's 
ridiculous. It's this pink and green kind of like printed weird pattern. I mean, I, I thought also, you know, it's, it's, amateur hour. it's a good rib, but not uh, talking about Steve Cox first about his fashion before we talk about Michael Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about more about who the fucking Samoan SWAT team are. Oh, I'm going to get on to that after Michael P.S. Hayes All right, working enough. a face role. Yeah. How do you feel about Hayes working face? I don't think it works brilliantly. No, he's definitely a bit heel. He does a good job of kind of cheerleading, getting the crowd in, because this yeah. slot is absolutely dead at this point. Like, yeah. The crowd really aren't into this match. I'd say it's the most charismatic character um, interacting with the crowd on the whole card. Yeah, And absolutely. again, only as a face. I think, again, he would add a hit as a heel, he would have had people tearing for him probably over that rope. Yeah. I wonder whether his gimmick is on the downs a little bit at this point. Yeah, I'd say so in 88. Yeah. Now he doesn't have the rest of the boys with him. Yeah, it's a shame in it really because, I mean, he's, he's very talented and he's got character, charisma and, you know, he's, he's all right in the ring and everything. It's just that I just, uh, as a generic face... Didn't work for me. No, not really... Nah, not really but at all. They were against the Samoan SWAT team, who then became the Head Shrinkers. First shout out to Brand Merchandising, as the Head Shrinkers were wearing their Jägermeister t shirts coming out to the ring. Yeah, sponsored by Jägermeister. Uh, excellent work. Um, Fatu is obviously the chap who then went on to become Rikishi, and he's the yep. father of the Usos. Pre Sultan Rikishi. Yeah, Pre Sultan. Very young Rikishi. And you can see now, because again, when Rikishi got a bit bigger as time went on, um, he looks so much like his boys here. They look so much yeah. like how um, Fatu was in 1988. It Absolutely, was like, oh my man. God, it's Anuso. Yeah, and of course says. it is because it's their boys. They're his kids. Yeah, 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 exactly. So the Samoan SWAT team work over Cox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're in our 30s and we still find that funny. Oh, fuck yeah. Hayes plays to the heel and does a good job of trying to get them up, I guess. And he comes in and gets the hot tag, House of Fire. Uh, Cox vaults the top rope, <laughs> DDT by Hayes, and Buddy Robinson to cheat. Now, let's talk about this finish. Oh my god! I mean, they're going for the same finish they did earlier, where he's going to come in with some sort of foreign object, knuckle dusters or something, punch Hayes and roll him over. So the small sort team guy pins him. I can't remember who got the tip pin. Do you remember? Uh, no. I think it was Fatu, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but the replay very clearly shows that he doesn't punch him with anything. Maybe a leather glove. Ooh. Like, oh, that deadly leather glove. That would knock you out. That's very old-fashioned. Hit slapping someone with a glove. It's like, oh, come on, man. What are you thinking? Like, this is Michael P.S. Hayes. I can't just pin him with one punch. But you know what? Michael Hayes solved this like a champ. He was out for, like, the rest of the pay-per-view in the middle of the ring. <laughs> He's just honestly trying to get his time in, it feels like. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, the referee definitely went... The next backstage segment isn't ready yet. Larry Nelson's just seeking to police for something to happen to Pocahontas. Quick, <laughs> roll around for a little bit. So the commentator's tried to put this finish over by saying Buddy has hit Hayes with his wallet, which he has earlier in the match. He blatantly doesn't. He blatantly just hits him with, like, a punch. That's because someone from Chicago's picked his pocket and run away. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> so Hayes sells the shit out of it, as we say, and they show the replay a few times, and you're like, what are you playing It's like at? someone had like, basically ripped his eye out. He was rolling around so much in the middle yeah. of that ring. Fucking bullshit! <sighs> I think that is sort of the BS... I mean, BS finish number 743 on this show so far. Every single finish is nonsense. <laughs> but, you know... Our Samoan friends retain the WCCW tag titles. And I don't know if you can guess the formula. Can you guess what happened after this match? (laughs) I bet I know what's coming. Um, So we're backstage and Larry is interviewing both Sheiks about their attack on the Sarge. We've got our usual anti-American stuff here. (laughs) They have a big surprise for Slaughter and it's Sheik. (laughs) He's already 
16 earlier in the night. Can I do the intro to the next one? Of course, far away. Okay, you've got to remember to do the bit at the end, all right? So we have a special match. (laughs) (laughs) This is an Indian strap match with Manny the Raging Bull Fernandez against Wahoo McDaniel, the great Indian chief. Unfortunately, due to spell correct on my my notes, I've got him down as Yahoo McDaniel. (laughs) (laughs) So weirdly, the IWGP champion is here. And they call him Dragon Fujinami. But his actual name is... Tatsumi Fujinami. Thank you very much. And it's a bit surreal that the IWGP champs from New Japan's just hanging around. Um, Mr. Flight. <laughs> Maybe just hanging around afterwards, yeah. <laughs> so Manny cuts a promo on Fujinami immediately. And Fujinami takes no shit. <laughs> grabs Wahoo's, grabs uh, Manny's arms behind his back. And Wahoo slaps him with a strap to begin the match. Bit of a strange thing. But they're obviously building up to a Manny Fernandez iwgp run or something yeah possibly but this is definitely a great way for the faces to start the match double teaming the heel absolutely makes perfect sense so uh apparently according to jerry lawler wahoo mcdaniel was backstage trying to kind of get involved in the discussions between wccw and the awa about who is going to go over in the main event and you can tell he looks pretty angry in this match he is an angry boy oh yes now this match um was banned and excluded from future telecasts and broadcasts yeah. of this based the on the wouldn't broadcast yeah it. based on the graphic nature and at the start of this super class show on the network yeah we've got the tv ma warning on the ww network oh, okay. so but this yeah exactly it feels crazy and that yes they both blade during the match but they're just hitting each other with a strap like it's really not that violent but when i when i saw it i thought i'd selected the wrong pay-per-view because i thought tv ma and i thought oh has this gone on to another website I look at? Right, okay. <laughs> you know. Oh, okay. Total Bellas. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, well, so my friends referred to as on mute. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Not me, may I point oh, out. Oh, point, no, but, of yeah. course not, of course carry not. On, carry on. Um, but yeah, so I'm surprised, as you said, this match was excluded from the broadcast, but I suppose at its time, it was a little bit bladey bladey <sighs> bloody gory kind of it's not like a chain match or anything they've just got like a leather strap between them exactly it's harder than so, the chain I mean, it's an Indian leather strap oh, all the way from know. Bangalore my first thought when I saw them blading was how stupid it was because your leather wouldn't cut your forehead like that well, an Indian leather strap would. Oh, God. Okay. I think we need to go into the... Uh, the <laughs> Diving deep into kayfabe here. <laughs> yeah. Realms of like, oh, he's not going to be on Raw this week. Oh, he's definitely not going to appear interfering in the main event, you know? Yeah, exactly. So about five minutes into this match, they finally clarify the rules. This is one where you've got to touch all four corners of the ring, not just pin or submit your opponent. You would have thought they'd make a point of explaining these rules beforehand, maybe. No, why bother? Of course. Just let 1,672, now probably down to about 321, uh, understand what's going on. <laughs> uh, this is very much uh, slap-kicky based, as you'd imagine most of these matches are at this point in the card. Uh, they do beat each other up quite a lot, and they blade heavy, like they're covered in blood by the yeah. end of this. But uh, not as much as someone later. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> we get an interesting finish. So Wahuma Daniels gets the three turnbuckles, dragging Hernandez behind him. Hernandez then kicks Wahoo into the fourth turnbuckle, meaning that Wahoo wins. Which, as said, if the roles have been reversed, if this had been like a face kicking the heel and the heel fell into the fourth corner and that would make some sort of sense tax. <laughs> as opposed to the heel being like, 
oh, I've just lost the match by hitting him. Uh. <laughs> Which is exactly what he said afterwards in his promo. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. We get a post beat down by Manny Fernandez and Fujinami comes in for the save, obviously setting up their feud for later down the line, whatever. Uh, who goes to just walk to the back and a worker has to drag him back to ringside to do his interview. Uh, this is a great little moment. Like They're just so unorganized. It's like It seems so unprofessional compared to what we're used to seeing with WWF. So, uh, before we move on to our headlined main event, are we going to play a game? Absolutely, yeah. Let's do it. So, we've got a new game for the podcast this week. I'm yet to name it. Okay. So, if you would like to name it, feel free to contact us on Twitter, World of Rest Pod, or whatever, or Facebook, or go to the website and find the email address, which is very public, uh, and send us an email or a message or whatever. Uh, but the game for the pod, essentially... It's kind of a teamwork game this time. We're not competing against each other. Okay. Okay, but we have to try and beat our score every time we do it is what I'm kind of planning on, you know? Okay. And then when we have multiple people around the table, we can play it against each other or whatever. Okay. Essentially, the game is very, very simple. We have a random selector here of the WF roster from 1998. Okay. You will be given a wrestler. Why 1998? Because we both know 1998. Okay. okay. <laughs> You'll get why in a second. Right? Okay. So basically all it is, is that you your wrestler will pop up once you randomly select them. You then have to describe them to me saying one thing. Okay. Okay. If I then don't get it, okay, we then have to move on to the next one. So okay. you can pass, okay? But the idea okay. is to guess who you're describing. Okay. So let's do a uh, classic one. Um, married Elizabeth. Macho man. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's okay. very, very easy. But you can only okay. use one thing to describe them. Oh, so you can use a sentence, but you can't... It's not just one word. It's a, you, you can a say, description. Yeah, you can literally describe anything. You can say anything apart from their name. So I'm assuming if it came to Mr. Perfect, I couldn't say Perfect Plex, because that'd be a bit of a giveaway. No, because that's got the word perfect in it. Yeah. But if the character is Hulk Hogan, you said... Terry Balea, Gorka. You can't actually no, no. Fuck that. Yeah, fuck. You can't have any of their names. Okay. Okay. So we'll go with you can have nicknames. Okay. Brutus is mate. Yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> Things like that okay. we'll get away with. Okay. But like, you can't just go. He's the Hulk. Hulk Hogan. You know what okay. I mean? Okay. Right. So, would you like to guess first? I'll guess first. Okay, you'll guess first. So I have to describe. All right. So we've got one minute. You're gonna have to time this on your phone. Hang on. I will set the alarm clock. Okay, I have the timer ready. So, in three, two, one. Uh, Shawn Michaels was with uh, Sensational Sherry. Oh, no, it was Sunny, but it's okay. Don't worry. Okay, uh, one of the smoking guns, but not the bad one. Billy Gunn. Thank you very much. Uh, part of the nation, leader. Farouk. Thank you very much. Uh, beaten up by Stone Cold. Everyone. <laughs> Deborah. <laughs> um, oh I've already had that one bollocks that's the problem with the randomizer um, 31 seconds to go the brother of the other one in the smoking guns Bart Gun. thank you very much um, uh, parody of Goldberg Gilberg thank you very much okay uh, MMA fighter not Dan Severn Ken Shamrock thank you very much brother to Christian Edge thank you 10 seconds uh, dragged th- father dragged away in a coffin by a uh, big boss man. Yes, so <laughs> three seconds. Uh, brother of Undertaker. Game. Okay, cool. That's not bad. That's not bad. At eight. Okay, so we got eight out of that one. Sweet. Oh, it's harder. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to count for yourself. Okay, I'm counting. Let's okay, do it. in three, two, one, go. 
Mark Merrow's Mrs. Sable. Correct. If you get multiples, just skip over it, okay? He was an oddity. Uh, Golga? Yes. Oh, go on. <laughs> Leader of the nation. Uh, Farouk. Yep. This is hard. We're going to have to get rid of multiples somehow. <laughs> Sang Jeff Jarrett's entrance music. Uh, Road Dog. Yep. Tag team partner of Brian Christopher. Oh, uh, pass, pass, pass. Go to the next one. Uh, Scotty Taylor. Scotty Too High. Damn. He was once broken, now woken. Uh, Matt Hardy. Yep. Alabama Slatham. Uh, Bob Holly. Yep. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, also, managed Jeff Jarrett. Deborah? No, Tennessee Lee. Oh, damn it. Oh. <laughs> oh, I got the wrong one. How many did you get? Six. Six. Excellent work. Which is a shame because the next one was going to be Savio Vega. <laughs> oh, man. That could have been fun. That is an excellent game. Yeah, I like this game. It's fun paced. It's fast paced oh, and brilliant. silly and fun, you know. So back to the card. So we're backstage with Stanley Blackburn and Vern Garnier. Stanley Blackburn is the AWA matchmaker. Or WCW match, DCW matchmaker? I don't know. I lost track at this point. I'd lost track. But I, either way, they're both being very critical of the brutality of the last match. Indeed. They proper stumble over their words at times. Yeah. Like, not for me to <laughs> mock someone stumbling over their words because I do it all the time. But um, yeah, they really put over the last match, the main event, and they kind of talk bollocks. Yeah. They, they hype the main event that isn't technically the main event. This is completely unnecessary. Yeah. No point. Yeah. It's just a case of, again, well, in this instance, I wonder if it's a case of clearing the ring of all the blood oh maybe they, yeah yeah so at least there's purpose to it but, so yeah. this is highlighted as the winner takes all world championship match for the AWA championship which is currently held by Jerry the King Lawler versus the WCCW world heavyweight championship which is held by the modern day warrior Kerry Von Erich ah uh, Texas Tornado <laughs> yeah indeed so with all the shenanigans going on with this Lawler doesn't even get an entrance nope for all <laughs> unification match for in theory the two big promotions in their eyes you know yeah uh it seems very silly to me um al lerner whoever that is is doing the ringside announcements is a new guy he's a local radio presenter oh is that where it comes from yep. he gets booed out the building to be fair uh lawler gets booed mostly as well because you know chicago he's a memphis guy uh he cuts a promo pre-match about <laughs> having one world world heavyweight championship uh, sorry, Lola cuts a promo pre-match about having one world heavyweight championship. Kerry enters, does his big ring entrance, but no music. Of course not. Very weird. They're not Sergeant Slaughter level. But WCCW is renowned for being the company that brought in the music for the wrestlers' entrances and such. Why doesn't Kerry have music? Like, surely this is a big moment. WCCW won't release the licensing to AWA. Do you reckon? Like, surely they're <laughs> stealing music at this point. Because I don't must think, be. I think even like copyright licensing is a thing in 1988. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> Kerry gets in the ring and immediately starts to cut a promo himself about how there's one Mona Lisa, one Leaning Tower of Pisa, and one World Heavyweight <laughs> Championship. Ah, oh, for God's sake, Kerry. Come just, on, man. Just in case the people backstage, the hence in the backstage interviews earlier, <laughs> just wanted to really <laughs> emphasize the fact that there, there can be only one. Uh, Kerry takes his robe off, and the first thing I think of, he is roided beyond belief. Yeah, that's not workout belly. That is roidy baby. There's like veins sticking out of places where you shouldn't have veins and such, yeah. you know? Like he looks unhealthy, but jacked to the gills. EC3. Uh, he looks very EC3, actually. Yeah, yeah. Worried. But with like a beautiful mullet and long hair. Like yeah. 
gorgeous boy and can work. Yeah, too right, man. Uh, so Kerry accidentally blades his own bicep backstage in an earlier interview. Do you know about this? Yep. <laughs> so apparently him and Jerry are backstage talking and Kerry's pretty much out of it is the way Jerry Lawler describes it. And he's got a blade strapped to his finger and goes to itch under his armpit and blades all the way down <laughs> the inside of his bicep. God, Kerry. I, I mean, we've all been there. <laughs> Have we? <laughs> no. <laughs> So Lawless stalls in the ring to start with. Uh, Lawless slams Kerry's arm all over the turnbuckle to try and make it look like he's busted open Kerry's arm. So at least like Lawless clever, you know, like he's working how he thinks he needs to make this and put it over. And what I've always seen in wrestling matches, if you bust open your opponent's arm, (laughs) you're on to a winner. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) So Lawler bites the arm as well at one point, which is pretty awesome to try and really get over this blood thing. Uh, Kerry no-sells Lawler's pile driver. For fuck's sake, this is like his big move. Who no-sells a pile driver? Ridiculous. Uh, the iron claw gets blocked. Kerry kicks out from a Lawler pin and Lawler bumps onto the ref. Kerry does a horrific-looking pile driver to Jerry Lawler where his head's down by his knees and he's oh, literally just driving yeah. his head into the mat. Like, if this riff, if this ring was any stiffer than it already is, like, this could be really dangerous. Like, it looks horrific. Uh, the ref stalls for a little bit. One, two, kick out by Lawler from the pile driver. Thank God he's still alive. Um, then Lawler starts to go proper heel. He starts reaching into his trunks to get knuckle dusters and such. Fourth or fifth set of knuckle dusters used on this card? Job lot. <laughs> <laughs> Got them cheap on eBay, you know. Like. Uh, Kerry blades his head this time. Thank God he blades the right position of his body and <laughs> not like his chest or his leg or something. <laughs> uh, Lawler Brett rope punch. Uh, Got to love it. Uh, goes for the goes for it again. Climbs the ropes, but this time gets caught into the iron claw. But to the belly. Well, exactly. The iron claw to the belly is dangerous. That's so weird. I've never seen an iron claw to the belly ever. Obviously, you've seen Fritz and David do it to the head and such. Yeah. You know, and Kevin as well. I've seen a bunch of Kevin's matches. Uh, is his claw to the belly a thing that the Von Erics do? I thought it was just a case of to get back through the ropes and then transition to the head to try and sell the he's going to he, sub. He's doing the iron claw to his belly for like two, three minutes. Easy. Oh, yeah. He's, you know, he likes tummy sticks. It's, it's so weird. He's doing a tummy. I'll take you so much you submit. <laughs> so after doing the uh, iron claw to the belly, Kerry is literally bleeding all over the shop. He's bleeding all over Lawler. He's bleeding everywhere. It's disgusting. Uh, he's worn white trunks, Jimmy Havoc-esque. Oh, to, like, Jesus Highlight Christ. this, I think. Oh, it's pretty bad. Uh, so he eventually transitions to the Iron Claw to Jerry Lawler's head. Uh, Kerry breaks the Iron Claw to do an Irish whip for some God knows reason. Your finish is sunk in. Why are you releasing it to do an Irish whip? To work the actual finish. It doesn't go claw to belly, claw to head. It goes <laughs> Irish whip, then claw to head. Oh, of course it is. Get the transition right. You're a professional. So Lawler goes into the tights to get the knucks again. This time doing it right in front of the audience. So they get the big reaction. Like Lawler's really working here. He's doing a great job. Uh, the ref goes to check Lawler's tights, but Lawler has the knucks behind his head. <laughs> and you're like, oh, you're a genius. This is funny. Uh, knuck shots to Kerry. Uh, Lawler lights up Kerry with loads and loads of punches. Uh, very Lawler-esque, because that's pretty much all Jerry Lawler does, is punches and a power driver. Works. Uh, absolutely. Maybe For that a, should be my wrestling style now. For guys that do like nothing in the ring, they're basically punch kick guys. If they do a kick, they're lucky. Yeah. It's very much punches. There's no suplexes. There's nothing. Like they work very well considering. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, an idea maybe. An idea is forming in my podcast partner's brain here. I wonder if I can hit anyone with a pile driver. <laughs> 
So we get uh, another shot with the knuckle dusters, uh, double knockdown this time as well. Iron Claw back on. Ref throws it out after checking on Kerry's busted up face for blood loss. There is nothing worse than a title changing hands due to blood loss. Mm. I also enjoyed the uh, WCCW promoter on the outside showing, he can go on, yeah. he can go on. I didn't know if this was uh, some kind of Montreal-esque screw job where they're like, he's bleeding. He's got the claw on. Oh, Jerry's one. <laughs> Don't worry, Lawler's just submitted, but he's got a lot of blood blissing, so he's, he's lost. So my introduction into this match was I saw an interview with Jerry Lawler talking about it years ago before I'd even seen this match. I think it was when I was researching the Von Eriks and how it was very hard to get there. So I knew what this finish was going to be and that Lawler wins both belts on a bullshit kind of Lawler's about to be finished with the Iron Claw but the ref checks to see Kerry, you know, is bleeding too much and then calls out the match. But the fact the belt changed hands and Lawler becomes the champion of both companies, but Kerry walks out with the belts? Yeah. It's very bullshit again. Also, I'd imagine he's off his tits and thought he won. Probably, yeah. I mean, at least, at, least, at least playing the face game of I've got my claw on, he's submitted, I must have won the belts, I'm going to leave. Yeah. But instead of playing ball and going along the lines of, oh, I haven't won, have I? Or I'm annoyed. He's just gone, huh, no. If I, <laughs> if I leave with the belts, I'm the champion. Absolutely. That's why I always hate it when people hold wrestling belts and they're not champions. Yeah. Because it's a case of, you don't know. this is instruction by Fitz. Like, oh, you leave that ring with both those belts. Yeah, no I think so. Because if they thought, well, it will, the, the stream will go off and you've left with both belts. So if people look at that image, you've, you're the double champion. Exactly. Yeah, very much so. So um, the commentators say, he can't go on. He can't see. He fucking can. He <laughs> <laughs> blatantly can. Absolute bullshit finish. Um, he walks out with the belt. Stop, thief. He stole the belts. You didn't even win those. <laughs> Uh, and obviously, we have to have an in-ring interview with Lawler. He puts over the referee's decision how it was a good one. Kind of facey promo, but why be- while being a heel? Yeah. Quite clever. Yeah. I, I respect Kerry Von Erich. He took me to my very limits. He's a top competitor. Oh, the referee not stopped it. I'm sure we'll have a fight down the line, but whatever. I've got the belts. And Kerry Von Erich made me submit. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really, really clever by Jerry. Clever by Jerry. God-awful booking. Oh, terrible. Again, this, terrible. Just, this just smacks of two promoters not being able to come, once again, as we said earlier, to a decision where they can't just have one of their promote, one of the rest on their promotion look weak. This is the problem with all these people coming together under one banner rather than just having one banner that's booking the show. Yeah, and this is why super shows, unless people have decent working relationships, do not work. This is why things like ROH and New Japan works well because they don't mind putting each other's talents over. Absolutely, absolutely, man. And I, I put it down to the fact that this is a lesson learned from the late 80s territory days when they were trying to compete against WWE Yeah. that now people realize they have to work together because for example had cody rhodes not been able to work with all those promotions all in would have not happened yep absolutely and unfortunately back in the 80s all these promoters still thought they were the dogs bollocks and none of them were because vince had got all their talent and all their money it's like uh, when a band's really popular in one town they get that their ego kind of thing happening yeah. and then they go to the next town over and there's no one at the show save target as <laughs> okay fair enough your band yeah uh thought we were brilliant I thought we and in fairness they're a very good band I thought they're a very good band but I was probably like that as well to be fair but yeah. we were pretty modest to be totally honest we never expected a great deal and everything we got was kind of lucky you know no Iris are very very good though you're a very good band the thing is though Safe Target yeah. House is a nice band Iris was full of relatively nice 
polite people in on individuals maybe not together as a collective i'm just gonna say yes <laughs> safe target as a full of wankers <laughs> oh, i like them all but yeah it's fine i know what you mean uh but so we get a backstage interview with kerry von eric as well he bitches about the finish uh cuts the and z- rightly so <laughs> yeah absolutely and cuts the exact same promo for the third time this one this there's one of these so there must be one heavyweight champion and it's lawler oh, yeah, very <laughs> much so but that's not all folks tonight's main event of the evening See, this threw me because this stage i was like <laughs> i'm gonna turn the network off because this is great i've watched all oh, there's quite a bit of time left oh there's here. still 10 minutes left on the show <laughs> and then we move on to our main event of the evening of a uh, stud stable of robert fuller and jimmy godden what i've written at the top <laughs> this is why Vince won. <laughs> <laughs> this bullshit, having this weird tag team match after this main event, is why Vince Man won this war. Now, at this stage as well, I thought, so we've got stud stable of Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden against yep. the Rock and Roll Express. I thought, right, we're going to have a clean, decisive win from Rock and Roll Express, send everyone home happy. The logic behind it makes perfect sense because you know you've got the bullshit finish in your actual main event. So let's have a tag match, send everyone home happy at the end. Not quite how it works out, which makes even less sense. So stupid. I should have known by the time I got to this match that this was not going to be a clean win. And it wasn't. Um, And this match suffered from it not being in the main event because everyone's just watched half an hour of... Lawler and Von Erich have a pretty decent match. Yeah, very tense but, match, yeah. to say the least. But the finish, again, just removed all credibility from yeah, it. Yeah, that, that would send anyone home pissed off that you didn't actually get the, what you've been promised. And nothing like finishing a card with lots of clean finishes with something we haven't seen all night, a double DQ! <sighs> God's sake, and a really sloppy one as well. Yeah. Like, there's boring chance in this match straight from the beginning. From you the get... six people still there. <laughs> yeah, like, a lot of people have left the arena before this match even starts. And there was quite a lot of empty seats anyway, so it's getting very weird as this match goes on. Um, we get a few kind of cool spots by the Rock and Roll, because let's face it, the Rock and Roll are a very good tag team for the yeah. time period. But they're a little past it already at this point. Like, 88... Leading into yeah. the 90s. Like. It's, they're tailing off now. Um, I also get the impression, based on their post-match promo by the ring, that there had been rumoured dissension between the Rock and Roll Express right, leading okay. up to this. So obviously that's why it was no surprise to them that they won. Hang on, you didn't win. It's a double <laughs> DQ. <laughs> <laughs> and they cut the promo at the end as well, don't they? After the, Basically the heels cheat a lot. You get a bullshit thing. The ref randomly counts to 10 while there's still people wrestling in the ring and just throws it out. And you're like, fucking bullshit. In all honesty, I think the referee was just basically doing this. You know what, mate? Let's <laughs> just call it a night. I'm just done. <laughs> just sod this. I'm just going to call Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Seriously, fuck this company, even though it's not a company. Fuck these companies. There you go. I mean, I like the history of the AWA. I like the history of world class. I Again, it, spore, it spurred on a lot of great talent and it spurred on the, the superstars that helped Vince McMahon build his brand and his company. But... Because at this stage, I knew I was just going to have endless promos after this. Because I, again, still saw there was time left in another match. Yeah. I, I stopped because I thought it's just going to be promos. It's just going to be okay. going on from there. Probably probably backstage because the Rock and Roll Express had something, I'd assume. 
the stud, the stud stable had a promo backstage where they probably went, we're better than the Rock and Roll Express and we'll get them again. And then they probably Literally had... Literally whatever it was. And then I'm going to guess they probably had another promo of the promoters going, oh, wasn't it a great show? And then they'll have one other promo of someone else and then they'll call it. Uh, pretty much, man. Oh, really? Pretty much on the now. <laughs> so there is a backstage, backstage interview with the stud stable where they do southern shouty thing and they say, boys, after every sentence. Uh, then they have a ringside interview with Vern Garnier where he talks about how great the crowd was as they're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> People are shouting things in the background. I, mean, I imagine they're shouting, we want a refund. <laughs> Because it's absolutely no- nonsense. Like people are going up to the ring behind Vern, shaking the ropes and photo bombing and stuff. And you're like, "This is excellent. This is so amateur hour. It's brilliant." Uh, they literally recap every part of the show before they finish. Jesus Christ! And then we get the goofiest end title titles oh, of music I've ever imagine? seen in my life. Uh, right. Okay. So quick notes about the show. The ring is stiff as hell, but bouncy, and it's also mic'd underneath. So every time anyone walks in the ring, you hear WD forty that bastard. Oh my god, it's so bad. Like, what did you think of the ring and the setup and the arena and things like that? Awful. The I, whole thing was just basic. dilapidated and looked old and crinky and creaky. You know what I likened it to? Go on. Um, and it's not to be disrespectful. This just reminded me of Five Star when it had its very brief run earlier this year. Right. Empty arenas. Um, obviously, the arenas for Five Star were a lot better off, but shoddy finishes, glitchy finishes, piss poor production, lots of false, like lots of botchy finishes. Talent probably not wanting to work with other talent, and yeah. an unfortunate shame because when we said we we're going to do sort of our old stuff, I thought, well, AWA is going to be a really good place to start because they have some good wrestling. And again, foolishly looking down the card, I was like. Von Eric versus Lawler. That would be good. And again, in fairness, other than the finish, match was very good. Yep, didn't mind the match at all. We had the Guerreros. We had some Cactus Jack as well, so that was nice. Early Jeff Jarrett. Again, we only had about five minutes of it, but it was quite Mate, nice to see. This was brilliantly fun. It was so silly. Oh, like, yeah. This is great podcasting. I'm absolutely praying that the first part of the pod didn't delete when I bashed my head against this and the battery died. But it is what it is. Um, the turnbuckles in the ring kept slipping as yeah. well. Do you notice this? So occasionally people were taking bumps and they'd be like, Ugh! Oh, that's going to hurt. It's just like going up to Sittingbourne or down to Suicide Centre Ashford and watching how those old indie shows which we watched at the, yeah. at, the at the dying days of British wrestling. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, it very much felt like the long I've lines, kept like... the ring in my shed sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So there is, we've already talked about uh, the empty seats from across the hard cam uh, and the commentators, I think they're absolutely outstanding. I think they did a great job during yeah. the night. Um, yeah, I mean, I give this a three. Because of comedy value. Yeah, I mean, as I said, the matches I enjoyed were very good matches. And again, seeing the Guerreros, in the, the early Guerreros, was really yeah. good. I really enjoyed that. And how much, like, Chavo, uh, sorry, how much Hector looks exactly like Eddie. Yeah. It's crazy how similar they are. And I enjoyed looking into some of these wrestlers who are obviously just making their beginnings in it. Yeah. Again, like seeing the Samoan SWAT team was really good. Jeff Jarrett, Mick Foley. Yeah, and obviously the Beverly Brothers was a nice little discovery. I yeah. enjoyed that a lot. And so looking back at it, I, I don't regret watching it. I'd regret having to record part of this again if the uh, the content's missing, but I'd do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I'd say a solid three. Uh, for me for this one purely for nostalgia purposes and as I said it, it's a fun card but I think for the next p- pod because I've picked quite a few shockers recently 
over to you. What are we going to be doing on next week's pod? So next week, we're going to be doing Dragon Gate's Kobe World from this year, from 2018, which is their kind of equivalent of like WrestleMania. Okay. Um, I looked at a few Puro shows and I decided we need to do some Dragon Gate because Puck has just returned to Dragon Gate. Right, okay. Don't know if you knew that, but he has. Uh, so Puck is now back there. Adrian Neville, if you don't know, from WWE. Uh, and so I thought it'd be nice to do some Dragon Gate and uh, this looks an amazing show. Like there's going to be comedy, there's going to be multi-man tag matches, it's going to be long histories leading into championship victories and such. What's this is gonna the be main out. event? Uh, I believe the main event is Naruki Doi against Masato Yoshino. Um, how, how long's the mat? How long's the card? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just over three hours. It's not amazing. Too long. That's so good. it's not like a six-hour job. Cool. Don't panic. Okay. Right, so excellent. Thank you very much for listening to the World of Wrestling Podcast again. Uh, check out the website, which is worldofwrestlingpodcast.com for all our socials, all our links to all the podcast stuff. So Stitcher, iTunes, Acast, Player FM. We're kind of across the board now, yep. which is absolutely awesome. Um, also check out our Facebook and our Twitter feed for the actual podcast. Just search World of Wrestling Podcast on Facebook. And uh, if you go to add us on Twitter, it's World of Res Pod. So W-R-E-S, World of Res Pod. And please interact with us. Indeed, yeah. As we've said before, if there are shows you'd like us to cover, good or bad, we'll happily do it. Obviously, uh, so far to date, our most popular episode seems to be our cover of The Marine. Leading up later this year, we will probably do another movie cover. So if you've got any WWE studio movies that you'd like us to cover, let us know. And we'll ruin our lives by watching another classic, you know, No Cell John movie. (laughs) Excellent. Sounds good. Uh, You can also check out our personal uh, Instagram and uh, Twitters. Uh, Mine is Rich Be Thy Name. At the Tax Williams. Awesome. I think we'll leave it there. Thanks very much, everyone. Take it easy. Bye-bye.